this is a fast greeting quadrant here. Hey, my name. Hey, my name's Benji. Yeah, you already know everybody who sits over here. Okay. I'm Michael, one of the pastors here. Great to be together as a church family this morning. Whether you're cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there's room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. The round reminds us that we're all active participants as we stay on this journey together. We're all here to receive something this morning. We also all have something to give. So as we soak in the grace and truth of God's love, we can also spread God's love to one more person. As Bill prayed about to start off the service, this has been a difficult week for our church family. We uh, have missionaries that we support uh, who live in uh, Abaco Island of the Bahamas. Many of us have been on mission trips there to that island. Some of us have seen people we know in the news reports uh, about this. And, and so to sort of see, see the, uh, the destruction there and know what the people are going through has been, been a very difficult thing. Uh, certainly more difficult for them than for us, but uh, I think we wish we could be there with them. So uh, in the midst of all that, people are, I know a lot of folks are praying. Uh, folks are asking, is there other things we can be doing? Uh, of course, giving financially would be a, a good thing to do. The, the ministry, our missionaries work for is called CYN. They've set up a relief fund. Our denomination has a disaster relief fund. Uh, our, there are EPC churches throughout the Bahamas and throughout the Caribbean, in fact, and so uh, the, the, the funds, no matter where you give them, are going to get to people to, to serve and love their neighbors, so encourage you to, to think about that. From our church's perspective, um, what you need to know is that a month from now, when everybody else goes back to normal life, we're still going to be in it in the long haul with the folks in the Bahamas, because we have a long-term commitment to our missionaries and to the people people there. And so we have, we're going to spend the time to figure out what will be most helpful. It will be most helpful to send uh, more short-term teams or, or when or all that kind of thing and to make a financial contribution. We, uh, if you may or may not know this, at the beginning of 2019, we make a budget for the church. You could probably guess that. But in our budget, we give 10% to missions, and that does not include the mission pastor's salary. So 10% to missions and then 3% to church planting. In fact, today at 11 o'clock, El Buen Samaritano, a Spanish-speaking church in Huntersville, starts having their first service today at 11. We helped fund that. So, so that's a fun kind of a thing. But again, it's sort of a proactive looking ahead to the budget, say, here's what we want to spend and give towards this year. And so we have a nice pool of money to draw from. And so as we, the, the needs are clear and we know how best to do it, we as a church will find a way to, uh, to contribute to that. So if you give anything to Lake Forest Davidson and Lake Forest Church, you should already know you, you are going to go and help the folks in the Bahamas uh, because of that 10% we give. If you'd like to do more on top of that on your own, we would certainly encourage, encourage that. So let's keep praying for those folks. And as, as it's clear how to be most helpful, uh, we, we will absolutely do that and know you guys will jump right on it. We have no doubts, no doubts. As Bill also said, uh, we're in the midst, if you have not been here the last five weeks, you would not know this, but if you have, this may be a repeat. We're in the midst of a campaign called Rooted. We are trying to raise 
uh, $3 million to buy land on South Main Street in Davidson so that 60 years from now, when I'm sitting here on the front row and during Gray's sermon, I'm going, huh? To everything he says, speak in my good ear, Gray. Because you'll still be going strong six years from now. I'll be retired by then. Uh, but we'll still be in this community, still have a vibrant ministry to the community, still be within walking distance to Davidson College. So we're very excited about this. Um, and so we wanted to make sure everyone had a rooted pledge card in case yours is where mine is. It's somewhere in my house. But I don't exactly know where. So we thought since the pledge cards, the commitment cards, we're asking for those next Sunday, we would put them in the chairs this Sunday. So in case you had lost yours, you would be sure that you had one. It's a three-year commitment. We're asking folks to give sort of over and above what you and I normally give to the church so that we can keep paying the staff, keep pay giving to missions, that kind of thing. That's going to require a step of faith for all of us. It's going to require a leap of faith for some of us. But it also is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to maybe give to the ministry of the church for the first time. It's an opportunity to move from kind of episodic giving to God's work to a more sustained and purposeful giving to God's work. And some in the congregation have, have left like the Bible's baseline of give 10% to God's work. You've left that way in the rearview mirror, but this is still a fun and good chance for an additional step of generosity. And I hope you see, I'm now going to try to tie the two thoughts together, see if it works. I hope you see that, that what our church is doing is trying to model something for all of us, which is saying we're not just going to give to missions like with whatever's left, or we're not going to do church planning with whatever's left. We're going to intentionally sit down and say, here's where the money goes, but here's where we want the money to go. And sometimes that means saying no uh, to, sometimes when you give 13% of your budget away, that means there's some things you can't always do. You have to say no to some things. But at the same time, it allows you to be purposefully generous uh, to God's work in the world. And I hope that will be what happens to each of us through Rooted as we think about where our money goes, but where we want our money to go, to be proactive in that. I, I hope and I pray that it'll be a big step forward for all of us. So, Next week, September 15th, bring your commitment card, bring any first contribution you'd like to make. Somebody asked at 8.15, what happens if I'm not here next week? Um, I said, clever, clever, you know, skip the day you do the hand in. Uh, well, the, the real answer is you could always put it in an envelope and drop it at the church office this week, next week, during the week. Um, if you're not here on the 15th and can't make it by the church office, I suppose you could always bring it on the 22nd and put it in the jeans pocket. You could next week hand it to a trusted or honestly untrusted person and tell them to bring it for you. That would be fine. That'd be good. We are continuing our series of sermons called Rooted in Joy. Rooted in Joy, studying the book of the Bible called Philippians. Our chunk for today is Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. What Cameron read for us earlier, Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. We have a few uh, rooted and joy journals left in case you'd like to keep reading. You haven't, in case you'd like to read and study the book on your, on your own. This is a special sermon for me because of a friend of mine named Kate. Kate is from New Jersey. Kate always wanted to go to Middlebury College in beautiful Middlebury, Vermont, I assume in large part because she had never spent a winter in Middlebury, Vermont. 
But she got waitlisted at Middlebury, and so she came to uh, her second choice, which is a school I have a degree from, a school called Davidson College. Yeah, we're not, we're not second to Middlebury, man. <laughs> and uh, she enjoyed being here, but she also found it a little bit disorienting because she realized that everyone at the college was driven and smart and accomplished and athletic. And so it was not clear what made her distinctive. She started to ask questions about identity. Who am I really? Why do I matter really? And so in the midst of that, some friends invited her to come to Lake Forest Davidson. This, I think this was near the beginning of year two. Uh, we're eight years old, near the beginning of year two. And the sermon that day was on this passage. Now, she had not grown up in church, didn't have a lot of exposure to church, but she was very open to God and very open to the message of Jesus. And so uh, she thought about what kind of similar to what I'm going to preach about today, and not long after hearing it, decided to put her faith in Christ. The last time I talked to her, about a year or two ago, she's in New York City, she's in higher ed, uh, she's continuing to impact people's lives, keeps growing in her faith and growing in her joy. So I affectionately call this sermon Kate's Sermon for that reason. I hope stories like that bring you joy. <laughs> they bring me joy. As I think, and Mandy and I think about our rooted contribution and commitment this week, they bring me great joy, not just that they happen now, but that they could happen 100 years from now. I t I'm going to let you behind. I shouldn't probably do this. I need to keep moving with the sermon. But so every once in a while, I wonder, what would have happened had she gone to Middlebury? Would her life have gone in the same direction? And sometime in the future, I'd like our church to start solving that, that question, like to be part of the solution to that. So it didn't matter if Kate got waitlisted at whatever college she applied to, she could have still found a vibrant community where she could have come to and grown in her faith. But that's for another day. That's for another day. I just need to do the sermon today. <laughs> from the prison, from the clink, Paul writes these words, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. So Paul is not being subtle here. He says, it's no problem for me to write this again. This letter is about joy. It's about rejoicing. This is not abstract art. You're not supposed to look at it at the end and go, hmm, I wonder what it means. I wonder what it's about. It's about joy, Paul says. I'm writing it again in case you missed it. In verses 2 and 3, Paul goes on to talk about a source of how you and I can squander our joy, how the people in Philippi could squander their joy. At the time the letter was written, there were some people saying that if you wanted to please God, if you were, if you were a man and you wanted to please God, you had to be circumcised. The point being, God's approval is contingent upon what you do. And specifically in this historical moment, God's approval is contingent on what uncircumcised men do with knives. I'm just going to pause here for a minute, see how uncomfortable I can make you. But the bigger principle is that you and I can squander our joy through something called the achievement game. In the achievement game, if I do enough, God will join everyone else in approving of me. 
If you do enough, if I do enough, God will join everybody else in approving of me. And in a culture like ours, we can be tempted to base our identity off what we're able to do, off what we're able to achieve. Achievement is a way of life for many of us. We know how to get stuff done. We know how to get stuff done well. And if we're not careful, the achievement game will become a spiritual game. We'll try to be good people and get on the right half of God's bell curve so that God will join everybody else in approving of us. That's where we'll find our worth through what we're able to do. Before Paul became a Christian, he was really good at the achievement game. He writes this. He says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. A modern paraphrase of this might be something like, I was born into the right family. Not only did I have good heritage, I had good parents. I was baptized on the way home from the hospital. We were at church every time the doors were open. In fact, they gave us a key so we could open the doors most of the time. By the time I was an adult, I knew the Bible backwards and forwards, and I put pressure on people to live as well as I lived. Not bad, huh? There's no way God doesn't approve of me. Paul was playing the achievement game, and he was playing to win. And in the midst of the achievement game, Paul had bought into the great lie of achievement. The lie of the achievement game is that I am living for approval. I am living for approval. I see myself as someone who has no approval. I have an empty bucket, no approval in my bucket. But if I can go out and do something, achieve something, do the right stuff, then I'll get some approval to put in my bucket. I'll work hard, I'll achieve, I'll get some much-needed approval, but then I discover something sad, and that's that there's a hole in my bucket, dear Liza, a hole. And all this approval that I'm putting in the bucket starts to seep out, sometimes slowly, sometimes quickly, but now I've got to achieve a little bit more because I realize I'm trying to get approval to put in a leaky bucket. When we do this, we can become achievement-obsessed, or we can become approval obsessed. And then, of course, if we make it a spiritual game, things get a lot harder, because what do you have to do to impress God? What would you have to do to gain God's approval? God doesn't think He's perfect. God is actually perfect. What do you have to do to impress someone who has no fault? So these begin to show the problems of the achievement game. The problems of the achievement game are first, that in a quest for approval, you will either become a workaholic or a failure. In the quest for approval, you and I will become either a workaholic or a failure. Because if your life is based on approval through achievement, you have to keep achieving or you're going to stop achieving. That will make you a workaholic, keep achieving, or failure, cease achieving. But the second thing is that you and I can get stuck in the unending and vicious cycle of comparison. The unending and vicious cycle of comparison. One of our elders, Kerry Gordon, uh, said, comparison is the thief of joy. It's actually her little, whatever that thing is at the top of Facebook, your banner or whatever. 
That was hers for a long time. Comparison is the thief of joy. Because as soon as we get into the whole achievement thing, we start using comparison terms, right? You'll remember when Paul said, if you think you've got reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. That's a comparative word. If you think you're good at that, I'm better. What's the problem of comparison? Why is it a vicious cycle? Well, let me just pull an example out of the air here. Let's say I start to compare myself to other, let me just think of something you can relate to, preachers. There you go. Let's say I start to compare myself to other preachers. I am going to gain approval by being a great preacher. All right. The problem with comparison would be I will always be able to find a preacher who's not as good as me. And that's going to balloon my ego. And then on the other side, I'll always be able to find a preacher who's better than me. And I'll have to decide I'm going to work really hard to get better than them, which I'll be able to do through working myself into the ground, or which I will not be able to do because I'm just not as good as them, which would make me, in my mind, a failure. This is how comparison becomes a really vicious cycle, and it starts to steal from us our joy, not becoming the best of which God made us, but always having to compare that to everybody else. I tell you all this so that you will be aware that there's hope. There is always hope. There's boundless hope. Philippians says this, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Now, growing up, I had heard a few people say that this, the Greek word translated here, garbage, didn't actually mean garbage. So I was really excited to learn Greek so I could look this up myself. The Greek word that's used is skubala, skubala. Throughout ancient literature, there's, all, there's a variant of that called skubalone, which means, and you have to pardon me, I have a two-year-old now. It means poop. Our two-year-old is start being, starting to tell us when she's gone poop, not proactively, mind you. <laughs> Andy, did you poop? And she'll go, Pfft. she'll just make the pee sound. And she'll pat her, the back of her diaper. <laughs> Thanks, kiddo. Thanks a lot. So you see why it gets translated as garbage. It's talking about refuse. It's talking about the kind of things that you and I would throw out. Paul's, Paul's point here is that I, 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 at this point, I would just flush my accomplishments. I would, I would get rid of them. I would throw them out. Now, I have a degree from Davidson, I have a degree from Vanderbilt. I, I keep the diplomas, and the reason I keep them is they symbolize a lot of hard work. But here's Paul saying that he's found something so good that he'd be willing to start ripping up those diplomas and flushing them down the potty. I have a two-year-old, down the potty. Why would he say this? What has he discovered? He's discovered a better way. He's getting out of the achievement game. He's getting out of the cycle of comparison. He's found something better, and the something better is this. Verse 8, I consider everything a loss 
because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So Paul is saying here, I have righteousness. I have, in other words, approval in God's sight. But what huge list of things did he do to gain God's approval? Well, there is no huge list of things. How did he discover his worth? What huge list of things did he do to prove his worth? Well, there is no huge list of things. His worth comes from knowing Jesus, from knowing Christ, not achieving anything, but knowing Christ. Why does he have God's approval? He has God's approval because God gave it to him as a gift. On what basis? On the basis of faith. So I would say to you, if, if you don't have a, a, a Bible, I'd encourage you to take the one out of the chair. The setup team would thank you severely every Sunday morning at 7.55. Take the Bible out of the chair. Take it home. Find this Philippians 3 passage, whether that takes you five seconds or five minutes. Find the, the passage and open it up and underline or highlight it. You can do that. That's allowed. And just leave it open. Reflect on these words. This is a true potential game changer, something different than what you and I have been brought up to believe, that it's always about justifying ourselves, that we're on this constant and forever search for approval. Paul says, I found something else. I found approval in God's sight that came through Jesus Christ on the basis of faith. The better way than the achievement game is this, is approval that comes from knowing and trusting Jesus Christ. In other words, from faith. Approval that comes from knowing and trusting Jesus. This is exactly the opposite of the achievement game. It's not approval that comes through an action or by doing the right thing or trying hard enough or making enough sacrifices. It's an approval that comes through a relationship a relationship with Jesus Christ, a relationship built on knowledge and trust and love. God does not want to relate to you as a supervisor. God wants to relate to you as a parent. There's a difference between the approval you get from a supervisor and from a parent. Supervisors approve of you because you do the right thing. You make their life easier. That's not how God wants to approve of you. God wants to approve of you as a parent approves of a child. Parental approval is based, at its best, is based on a relationship. I love you, I approve of you because you're my child. Now that doesn't mean parents approve of everything their children do, but at our best, at their best, parents approve of their children because of a relationship. And this is God's offer to us. I don't want to be your supervisor. I want to be your Father who is in heaven. 
God came to earth as Jesus Christ, fully God, fully human. He wanted to make clear to us that God wants a relationship with you. God wants to approve of you as a parent should approve of a child. He wants to love you and approve of you because you are His. How do you and I respond to this sort of proactive love? What long list of things do we do? There's no long list of things. We enter into the relationship. We enter into that commitment. We enter a relationship with Christ so that in the same way a child wants to have a loving, trusting knowledge of their parents, you and I can have a loving, trusting knowledge of the very God of the universe. You and I are always invited to invite Jesus into our lives to allow Him to transform us from the inside out. So that's all well and good. You say, I invite Jesus into my life, and then I cease achieving for the rest of my life. Well, no, no, no. It's still good to do the right thing. It's still, still good to achieve. Some of us, uh, some folks in here, you couldn't stop achieving if you tried, I don't think. It's still good to sacrifice for joy. We talked about that a few weeks ago. I choose sacrifice that unleashes joy in my life. These are still good things, but the point of Philippians 3 is, yes, your actions matter, but your actions are a byproduct of your approval. They are not the source of your approval. Your actions are not the source of your approval. They are a byproduct of your approval. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you will be tempted to believe the lie that you live for approval, that you will be in a never-ending, constant search for approval. But the good news is this. As a follower of Jesus, I live from approval. As a follower of Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if you ever come to follow Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, you live from approval. As a person who has put Jesus at the center of your life, approval is no longer the goal of your life. Approval is actually now the foundation of your life. Approval is no longer the goal of life, it is the foundation of life, and it switched from being the goal to being the foundation when you and I come to trust Jesus just enough. We're not talking about truckloads of trust, we're talking about just a little bit more than no trust. When you come to trust Jesus just a little bit more than nothing, such that you could say to him, come into my life, sit at the center of what I do, remake me from the inside out. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm not even close. I'm not even in the running. None of this makes any of us perfect, but it makes us a child of God who calls us His own. So maybe you could agree with Paul, maybe for the first time when he wrote these words. Verse 10, he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 
Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. You know the old saying, like, I hope to be the person my dog thinks I am? You know that one? Well, I got even better news than that. What that verse of Philippians is saying is, as a follower of Jesus, or if you ever become a follower of Jesus, you are becoming the person Jesus already says you are. You are becoming the person Jesus already says you are. Now, you're not there yet. I'm not there yet. But we press on. We press on. And why do we press on? Because as a follower of Jesus, we live from approval. We press on not for approval. We press on from approval. My question to you today as I wrap up my part of the service would be, do you live for approval or from approval? Do you live for approval or from approval? As you go through the day, as you work, as you study, as you do the right thing, do you do it for approval or from approval? As you bring your pledge card for Rooted next Sunday, do you do it for approval or from approval? As you uh, pray, as you study the Scripture, as you show up here on Sundays, are you seeking God's approval or are you living out of God's approval? You see why I like Philippians so much? It gets into some deep stuff that could transform the ways you and I see our lives, the very nature of reality, which would cause us to grow closer to God and in turn to be transformed. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, a chance to listen to God about whatever it is He's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take this quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I thank you that through your life, your death, your resurrection, that you have won the victory.
and that we have the opportunity to celebrate in your triumph, the triumph of your mercy. Lord, I pray for those of us who follow you that we would know that God approves of us, period. Whatever shortcoming we're in the midst of, whatever difficulty we face, I pray we would know we live from your approval through Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those of us who are more on the investigating side, those of us who are deciding whether or not to cross over the line of faith. I pray that we would be willing to come to you with our questions, with our doubts, and even in the midst of that to say, Jesus Christ, I want to know you. I want to love you and trust you and ultimately be transformed by you. Lord, I thank you that you hear our sincere prayers and you receive them. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen.